Thank you so much. Good morning. It's a wonderful, wonderful privilege to be able to explore God's Word together, particularly when you have an opportunity to cover a passage like this. I'd love for you to turn your Bibles today to Second Chronicles chapter 5 as we're continuing our King's Chronicles series. And we're looking today at how do you cultivate a sense of God's presence in your life. If God may seem like a distant landlord, a distant relative, when in reality what you're looking for is something that is personal and profound and dynamic within your own experience, you want to consider what we're looking at in today's passage because in Second Chronicles chapter 5, it begins methodically, starts to build up until at the very end of the chapter, there's this powerful movement of God in the midst of God's people that I don't want us to overlook here. So beginning now in verse 1 of Second Chronicles of the fifth chapter, here Ezra writes these words for you and for me that when all the work that Solomon had done for the temple of the Lord was finished, he brought in the things his father David had dedicated, the silver and gold and all the furnishings, and he placed them in the treasuries of God's temple. Then Solomon summoned to Jerusalem the elders of Israel and all the heads of the tribes and the chiefs of the Israelite families to bring up the ark of the Lord's covenant from Zion, the city of David. And all the men of Israel came together to the king at the time of the festival in the seventh month. When all the elders of Israel had arrived, the Levites took up the ark, and they brought up the ark and the tent of meeting, and all the sacred furnishings in it. The priests who were Levites carried them up, and King Solomon and the entire assembly of Israel had gathered about him were before the ark, sacrificing so many sheep and cattle that they could not be recorded or counted. But then the priests then brought the ark of the Lord's covenant to its place in the inner sanctuary of the temple, the most holy place, and put it beneath the wings of the cherubim. The cherubim spread their wings over the place of the ark and covered the ark and its carrying poles. And these poles were so long that their ends, extending from the ark, could be seen from in front of the inner sanctuary, but not from outside the holy place. They are still there today. There was nothing in the ark except the two tablets that Moses had placed in it at Horeb, where the Lord had made a covenant with the Israelites after they came out of Egypt. The priests then withdrew from the holy place. All the priests who were there had consecrated themselves, regardless of their divisions. All the Levites who were musicians, Asaph, Haman, Jeduthun, and their sons and relatives stood on the east side of the altar, dressed in fine linen and playing cymbals, harps, and lyres. They were accompanied by 120 priests sounding trumpets. The trumpeters and singers joined in unison, as with one voice, to give praise and thanks to the Lord accompanied by trumpets, cymbals, and other instruments. They raised their voices in praise to the Lord and sang, He is good, and his love endures forever. Then the temple of the Lord was filled with a cloud 
and the priests could not perform their service because of the cloud. For the glory of the Lord filled the temple of God. And then Solomon said, The Lord has said that he would dwell in a dark cloud. I have built a magnificent temple for you, a place for you to dwell forever. There is a lot here. We don't want to overlook any of it because it has direct bearing, I think, upon the way in which you and I approach God today. We need a profound sense of God's presence in our lives. So let's look to our Lord in prayer. Our Father, words like these that describe events of long ago can still relate to the issues we face hour by hour. You know our needs here. You know what last week has brought. You know what this week will bring. The challenges that we have faced, Father, are nothing in comparison to the power that you demonstrate. The past, the present, the future is all owned by you. And you connect dots, and you achieve purposes, and you bring glory to your name. We are called by you to put faith and trust in the one you sent and to live for him day by day and to honor you, which is why we're here today. So, Father, I pray now that as we are examining your word and opening up our our minds, our hearts, and everything that there is about us to be exposed to the truth that's found here in the Scriptures. Again, we're asking that you warm these hearts of ours. Engage these minds of ours. Because, Father, we've come here again to see Jesus, Him only. Praying these things again now in Jesus' name. Amen. It's March 2nd of 1791 when John Wesley was lying on his deathbed. It seemed as though he had already expressed everything that was on his heart that could be expressed. His eyes were closed and it seemed as though he was being transported into the presence of the Lord. When all of a sudden his eyes reopened and he seemed so fully engaged with those around him. And then he powerfully stated, the best of all is this. God is with us. And then he closed his eyes and passed into the presence of the Lord. David Maines, in his wonderful book, The Sense of His Presence, writes that during a spiritual awakening, there is first an overwhelming awareness of the presence of God among his people. 
What have been the outstanding features of this movement? Asked Duncan Campbell of the Lewis Revival in the years 1949 through 53. First, he said, an awareness of God. And then he went on to say, I have no hesitation in saying that this awareness of God is the crying need of the church today. It had taken Solomon four years just to plan out and prepare the temple. It took another seven years for Solomon to oversee the construction of the temple. Seven years. Eleven years total then in that whole strategy. And now you and I find that upon the completion of the temple, something significant with regards to who God is is about to break in on the scene. And what you and I need to be prepared for in the everyday routines of life is to be so spiritually conscious of those moments when God desires to break in on the scene that with our antenna up, we need to cultivate a sense of God's presence. Now, how do we go about doing that? I want to draw off for us this morning four major distinctives that are found here in this fifth chapter about how we go about cultivating this sense. The first is found in verse 1, and we're going to phrase it this way, that our sense of God's presence is heightened as we engage in the work of God. In the most ordinary, normal routines of your daily life, if you are God-conscious and you are heartfelt in your desire to serve Him exclusively, even those ordinary routines can be so transformed by God into something powerful and supernatural, you need to be aware of His presence. Verse 1. When all the work Solomon had done for the temple of the Lord was finished, and you'll want to underline that word, he brought in the things his father David had dedicated, the silver and gold and all the furnishings. He placed them in the treasuries of God's temple. In that one verse, you and I are allowed for our minds to review chapters 3 and 4, moving into chapter 5. And ask yourself now, in the construction of that temple, what was it that Solomon was experiencing, and what sort of spiritual disciplines was Solomon cultivating? I would say first that this was a time of what I would call prioritization. This was not about Solomon. This is about God. Each and every day, no matter how methodical that process unfolded, why even the stones that were being carved for the temple could not be heard, the carving, in the city limits. It had to be taking place further outside in the valley area. All the shaping by that particular craftsman of that stone where he was pondering, how will this fit into the temple? 
And why can't we speed up the process for this temple? It was part of God's plan for Solomon to prioritize what was most important for the people of God. In the normal routines of life, have you established God's priorities for your life? When life seems so mundane and the tasks seem so routine, do you cultivate each morning a freshness with regard to God's priority? I'm all yours, Father, whether it's caring for these children, whether it's working with co-workers now for the 30th year of my life, whether it's functioning in this new job situation or unemployed, going to school or out of school, your priorities for my life, no matter how long the task carries out. Notice not only the priorities he had to have established, but the perseverance that was required. Four years of planning and seven years of construction, 11 years in total, and there may have been criticisms along the way. Can't we speed up the process? Can't we cut short the way in which we are shaping those stones? But there was a slow, methodical approach because each stone had to be fit together to bring glory to God no matter how long it would take and no matter how much sweat it would produce. Has God called you to persevere in your life? In Poland, there's this famous story about the concert pianist who later became Prime Minister, Paderewski. As a concert pianist, he was, he was planning to step out on stage for an 8 o'clock performance. And there was a woman who had brought her son who was taking piano lessons and she couldn't wait for him to be able to experience this concert. She brought front row seats. Right before the performance, for some unknown reason, her son escaped from her eyesight. She looked around, couldn't see him. The seconds were ticking off before the concert would begin when lo and behold, she looked up and there... At the Steinway was her son about to begin playing chopsticks. And he began to play. Just then, Paderewski stepped out on the stage. And there was this uneasy applause and laughter out in the greater auditorium. But it got quiet when all of a sudden, Paderewski stood behind that child and with his fingers now moving up and down on the bass clef, and his right hand caressing the treble clef, he began to improvise and to add to what this little boy was doing there. All the while, whispering in a stage whisper, keep going. Don't quit. Keep going. Don't quit. The moment you feel as though what you are offering to God is something less than ideal. Have you considered the sovereign presence of God stepping in and beginning to improvise with what you've got going at this moment? 
all the while in his stage whisper, keep going. Don't quit. Keep going. Don't quit. Eleven years. It took me four years to even just lay out the blueprints, Solomon's thinking to himself. It took seven years for the construction of this temple. Stone by stone by stone. The quiet transport of all these elements so that they would fit naturally together. Obviously not my time. Absolutely all God's time. Are you prioritizing this morning? Are you persevering this morning? Do you have a sense that God is fitting some stones together in your own personal experience, but the shaping of the stones is taking a little longer than you had ever anticipated? Keep going. Don't quit. The stage whisper utters. Cultivate a sense of God's presence in the shaping of that stone that God has placed in your life. There's a second distinctive here, and we see it in verse 2 down to verse 6. Our sense of God's presence is heightened, secondly, as we minister with the people of God. Now, as you're engaged in the work of God, whether it is very, very private at this moment or very public, you've got stones for the shaping. But don't overlook that there are people for the ministering. In verse 2, Solomon summoned to Jerusalem the elders of Israel. And look how many times words such as all and entire and every and so on appear. He summoned to Jerusalem the elders of Israel, all the heads of the tribes and the chiefs of the Israelite families to bring up the ark of the Lord's covenant from Zion, the city of David. And all the men of Israel came together to the king at the time of the festival of the seventh month. When all the elders of Israel had arrived, the Levites took up the ark, and they brought up the ark and the tent of meeting and all the sacred furnishings in it, spotting all the all. The priests who were Levites carried them up, and King Solomon and the entire assembly of Israel that had gathered about him were before the ark, sacrificing so many sheep and cattle they could not be recorded or counted. Look at the gathering of the people here. Look in particular at verses 2 and 3. Now Solomon is a gifted leader, and so intuitively he probably knows that 
Leaders lead by example, and so there they are now being pulled together at the forefront to be able to lead this procession whereby the ark of the Lord is being brought into the temple of the Lord. It's to be a purposeful gathering. But notice the timing of all this. Look at verse 3. At the very end of verse 3, we're told that it's at the time of the festival in the seventh month. That's September, October on the Jewish calendar. What's so significant? This is called the Feast of the Tabernacles. It was the time in which the Israelites would recall their wilderness wanderings. There was no place for that ark to rest. That ark would be carried in front of the people, and as the ark was carried in front of the people, a cloud would go before the people to guide and direct them toward that promised land. Moses longed for that day. Moses never saw that day. Moses had to equip Joshua to carry forth into that day. But Moses had a tremendous sense of God's presence in the wilderness wanderings. Now here the Israelites are, and Solomon has found a resting place. The ark is being brought into the sanctuary of the temple. Can you imagine now, as the parents are describing to the children, the significance of that ark and its movements throughout all the years of wilderness travels? Parents, are you taking time to talk about how the Lord guided and directed you and He was present with you in your wilderness travels? Notice the timing. Solomon has chosen, or has God chosen, This particular moment now for the people to ponder the significance of that ark being brought to its resting place and all the people were involved in this story. So they take up the ark. And in verse 6, Solomon and the entire assembly of Israel that had gathered about him were before the ark sacrificing so many sheep and cattle that they could not be recorded or counted. People are gathered before the Lord, and it's a purposeful gathering, and it's a timely gathering, and it's a sacrificial gathering as the ark is being brought into the presence of God. And they're probably recalling the stories by which even David had seen the transport of that ark in a prior era. But it's all the people. Now, if you're looking for a sense of God's presence in your life, It's not only critical that you're engaging in the work of God, no matter what stone he has placed in your lap, large or small, but you are ministering with the people of God. Don't separate yourself from them. Watching the heavy snowfalls of these past days coming down in New England, where Pam and I were involved in the start of a church and Connecticut, as well as a crisis pregnancy center and other things there. Three feet of snow falling in that period in the place where we ministered. But there was something that stood out to me as I was watching the visuals on the newscasts before us. 
there was this large grove of tall trees. The branches were bowed down with, with heavy snow. So low that the branches from one tree were often leaning against the trunk or branches of another. There on that same newscast, another tree was shown, standing by itself. And the snow had obviously so weighed down the branches, the limbs of that tree, that they were broken, severed, shattered. I was struck by the visual contrast as it relates to the people of God. As to how when we are engaged in the work of God, we've got to be connected, ministering with the people of God. Because when life begins to weigh us down, and you feel like you are overextended, You need to be able to lean on somebody. We need each other to help carry the load. Families. Church family. No matter what the issues are of the hour that you're facing in your own personal experience. Weighed down by your limbs right now. Are you able to lean? Lean against the trunk or the branches of another? You see the wisdom of a leader of a family here? The wisdom of a church board here? The wisdom of a Christian education teacher here? The wisdom of the congregation here? Life gets heavy. Limbs begin to lean. But when we're ministering together, you see, we're able to withstand the weight of the pressures of the everyday experiences of life. You stand alone. You begin to feel an absence of the presence. Disengaged from that sense of God in my midst. It was God who said, I will be your God and You will be my people and I will what? Dwell in the midst of you. The tabernacle meant literally from the Old Testament Hebrew word to dwell. And so now here is Solomon. He's allowing for the people to sense the oneness of this experience. This is a purposeful gathering. It's a timely gathering as they are now recounting historically how their, their forefathers had transported this ark through their own wilderness experience, and yet they were a people of God. Not isolated from, but integrated with in the movement towards that destination that God had established. You see the richness of what this means for a congregation, for a church today? Got some heavy snow on your limbs? heavy weight. 
Our sense of God's presence is heightened as we engage in the work of God, but simultaneously minister with the people of God. Don't separate yourself. There's a third distinctive here. It's found in verse 7 down through verse 10. Our sense of God's presence is heightened as we focus upon the Word of God. Beginning in verse 7, the priest then brought the ark of the Lord's covenant. Don't overlook this. They brought the ark of the Lord's covenant to its place in the inner sanctuary of the temple. The most holy place and put it beneath the wings of the cherubim. Let's take a look at this. What stands out to you? The Ark of the Covenant was placed in the Holy of Holies. It wasn't out there in the courtyard. It spoke of God's distinctiveness, of God's separateness. How do you manage this tension of God's separateness and yet God's presence? in your own personal life. We need a both end. Notice that it was symbolically protected by the cherubim that guarded it. Not one, but two. It tells you of the service of ministry taking place in the heavenlies. Thirdly, look at the poles. Look at the poles, and then look carefully at verse 9 where you and I read, these poles were so long that their ends extending from the ark could be seen from in front of the inner sanctuary, but not from outside the holy place, and they're still there today. Covered Second Samuel years ago. And there was a powerful event that happened during the time where David was overseeing the transport of this very ark. David was celebrating, he and the whole house of Israel, with song, hops, letters, tambourines, the likes. In 2 Samuel 6, verse 6, when they came to the threshing floor, Uzzah reached out, took hold of the ark of God because the oxen stumbled, The Lord's anger burned against Uzzah because of his irreverent act. Therefore, God struck him down, and he died there beside the ark of God. He'd gotten too casual with the holy. Treated as a mundane box. But Moses had informed the people this was to be only carried by long poles, you see. We need a sense of the presence of God and His proximity, simultaneously the holiness of God and His distinctiveness. And now this is being pressed heavily upon that heart of Solomon. And so not only do you see that box, you see those poles. And that box speaks to you of the presence of God and the proximity of God, but those poles speak simultaneously of the distinctiveness of God, and now that healthy tension is embedded in your worship of who He is. Verse 
what he is. He's no ordinary God. But what's going on? What's inside that box? The ark contained only the two tablets of the law given by God to Moses on Mount Sinai. The Word of God. The Word of God. And when you now begin to bring these elements together and you are engaged in the work of God, of verse 1, no matter how big or how small that stone is that you are meant to shape, and you combine it with that commitment to minister with the people of God, no matter how difficult some of them are to relate to, And you focus upon the Word of God because God's Word takes precedent and is primary in the way in which we are to think. We gaze at that box and we begin to ask, and why did God deposit the Word there? And the answer is found in Exodus 25, verses 21 and 22. As Moses spoke to the Israelites, as it appears on the screen Place the cover on the top of the ark and put in the ark the testimony which I'll give you. And there above the cover between the two cherubim that are over the ark of the testimony, I've italicized this for us. I will meet with you. Did you see that? The testimony is the word of God. And when you are depositing that word within your own temple, this body of yours, and when it's centered and it's personalized, memorized, analyzed, centralized in your life, I will meet with you and give you all my commands, as he said, for the Israelites and for us today. What's inside that box of yours? It's the Word of God residing there. It's God's Word centered there. My mind goes back to a television programming preceding the 1988 Olympics, Winter Olympics. Astounding. Features some blind skiers being trained for slalom skiing. Imagine that. Seems impossible. But listen to this. Paired with sighted skiers, the blind skiers were taught on the flats how to make right and left turns. And when that was mastered, they were taken to the slope where their their sighted partners skied beside them, shouting out, Left, right. I marked this in Sports Illustrated. As they obeyed the commands, they were able to negotiate the course and cross the finish line, depending solely on the expertise of the sighted skier's word.
You've got a sighted skier's word here. Are you about to make a, a left turn? Are you wrestling with whether you should turn right? Do you have a sense of the presence of God in this decision that, you're, that you are confronted with this week? Are you engaged in the work of God no matter how big or how small that stone may be because God may be testing you for a bigger stone? Are you ministering with the people of God or do you find some of them, the personalities just don't click? Are you focusing upon the Word of God or do you find yourself so mentally distracted? Have you placed that word in this box? I'll meet with you. I'll meet with you, God said. Feeling lonely for God these days? Is he a distant relative or is he a, a personal father? There's a fourth distinctive that begins to unfold here. We're going to have to spot it because the priests then withdrew from the holy place. All the priests who were there had consecrated themselves regardless of their divisions. Notice the continual use of all. All the Levites were musicians. Asaph, Haman, Jeduthun, their sons and relatives stood on the east side of the altar dressed in fine linen playing cymbals and harps and lyres. They were accompanied by 120 priests sounding trumpets. The trumpeters and the singers joined in unison, oneness, as with one voice to give praise and thanks to the Lord. Accompanied by the trumpet cymbals and other instruments, they raised their voices in praise to the Lord and sang this. Look at your Bible. Mark this in 13. He is good. His love endures forever. They didn't say, life is good. Because sometimes it ain't. They didn't say, boy, I feel good. Because you could leave this worship service and start feeling bad. We need the one who is changeless, infinite, eternal, unchangeable in his attributes to go with us and to get in our space of life. He, not life, he is good. His love endures forever. And if love has let you down in this world, Look at the Hesed of God. It endures forever. What is that fourth distinctive? Our sense of God's presence is heightened as we worship to the glory of God. Because look what comes next. Then the temple of the Lord was filled with a cloud. 
And the priests could not perform their service because of the cloud. For the glory of the Lord filled the temple of God. Where in your Old Testament had you come across that before? Check out Exodus chapter 40, verse 34 through 35, where the tabernacle had been inaugurated. And look at these words. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could not enter the tent of meeting, because the cloud had settled upon it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. As the children look at their parents and are wondering, what's going on? And with a stage whisper, one says, God's here. And maybe your children are looking up at what's going on in your home life right now and struggling with the issues of everyday existence. And you need to be able to profoundly say, God is here. Let's keep shaping our stones. And how does that relate to Jesus? In that fourth chapter, in that first chapter, that first chapter, that 14th verse, John would teach us that the Word became flesh, as this now appears on the screen, and made His dwelling among us. Do you know what the word dwelling means in the Greek? Tabernacle. The Word became flesh and tabernacled among us. We have now been transported from the experience of the Israelites and the tabernacle matter where the clouds so overcame it into their wilderness wanderings where they they followed that cloud by day into the experience of Solomon in that temple. God is good and His love endures forever into this moment where Jesus Christ steps on the soil of Palestine and the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us, tabernacled among us. And we've seen His what? It's beautiful. His glory. And the priests could not perform their service because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the temple of God. We've seen His glory. The glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace, truth, for his man's rights during a spiritual awakening. There is first an overwhelming awareness of the presence of God among his people. Or as a great evangelist, Wesley would put it on his deathbed. The best of all is this. God is with us. 
God is with us. No matter how long, no matter how difficult, no matter how challenging life is, His love endures forever, for which we praise You, Lord. And we thank You. We're praising You and thanking You, Father, because You give us that sense of the awareness of God. And so use this for Your glory. Speak to our hearts. Impress Your holiness into our space. For I am with You always, even to the end of the ages. We praise You in Jesus' name.